Alright, so today we are going to uh, start diving into the Shinjin Bay Trust in Mind by Seng Tsan, the third patriarch of Zen. And uh, it's a very important text in our tradition, uh, very deep text. And uh, what I would like to do with it is, is take our time, not rush through that. Uh, we did do it some time ago and uh, we, I feel that, uh, I felt that we rushed through it and uh, we missed out on a lot of uh, depth. So uh, we will begin to dive into it today uh, and do maybe uh, one or two paragraphs of that and uh, continue. Uh, at some point within the next uh, couple of weeks, maybe after the, uh, the Zazenkai. So, Shinjin Mei, uh, Trust in Mind by Seng San, the third patriarch. I'm going to go through this uh, using a couple of different, uh, a few different translations and, and commentaries. Uh, the, the main one I'm going to use is uh, Mu Song, uh, translation and commentary. Also, Sheng Yen, Zheng uh, King Liao and uh, Cleary's translation. Uh, and uh, so I'll alternate between them depending on where we're at. Now, uh, Seng Tan, uh, as most of you, I believe, know, was the third patriarch of the Zen tradition. A Dharma successor of Wike, who was a Dharma successor of Bodhidharma, the known founder of Zen. And this is about 1,500 years ago. Now, there is a, there is a story about uh, the meeting between uh, Huike and Bodhidharma that uh, also relates to uh, Seng Tsang later on in the way that it was dealt with or the meeting was dealt with. So Huike came to see Bodhidharma tormented by his mind, not knowing what to do with something that we actually feel very commonly about, that my mind is driving me nuts. What do I do with that? How do I deal with my mind, <clears throat> right? And, uh, and he came and he asked Bodhidharma to give him peace of mind, to put his mind to rest for him. And Bodhidharma said, sure, no problem. Bring me your mind and I will put it to rest for you. In other words, Show me, bring out and put it here. Bring that which is holding you back. Bring that which is tormenting you, right? Show me. If you, if you claim that there is something there that is driving you crazy, it must be evident for you to bring it out, right? You are able to bring it out. And he thought about it. He tried to bring it out. He realized he cannot point his finger at what it is that's driving him crazy, and when he came back to Bodhidharma saying, I cannot find my mind, Bodhidharma said, there you go, I gave you peace of mind, or I put your mind at rest or at ease for you. Because Bodhidharma didn't do anything other than put the onness on, on Huike himself to go look and verify and find what is it that is holding him back. What is it that is driving him crazy? So, in other words, he asked him to test the assumptions, which is what we need to ask ourselves to do, what our practice is asking us to do. Test all assumptions rather than say, I am held back because of such and such or so and so. Ask, 
Is that true? Verify it. Not by looking at thoughts, by looking beyond that which is thought-based. So that was the story of the beginning of Huike's uh, journey, uh, which later on led to his uh, successorship. And then when he became a teacher, Seng Zan, the third patriarch, came to see him and he was riddled with uh, sickness at that time. He had uh, leprosy. And uh, he came to see Huike and he said, I have leprosy. I am sick because of sins of my past, because of things I've done in my past. Therefore, this is my karma. I am paying the price for that right now. Please absolve me of my sins, he said. And Huike said, okay, bring me your sins and I will absolve you of all those sins. Same thing, right? He dealt with it in the same way that Bodhidharma dealt with his own challenges. Or in other words, this is what we need to learn reading those stories. We need to learn from that and examining ourselves, examining our own hindrances in the same way. The hindrances may be different, but there, is, there are similarities in the way that they both dealt with it, which is what we need to do with our own barriers. So he said, bring me your sins. After a long pause, Seng San said, when I look for my sins, I cannot find them. When I look, I cannot find. Now, the when, the when bless you, when, when I look is a very important point. Right? It's not nonchalantly saying, I looked, I can't find it. Now what? It is actually a determined examination. I am going to look, and I'm not going to stop looking until I realize something here. It's not on weekends. It's not once in a while. It's continuous examination. Otherwise, we are unable to free ourselves, right? Unless we are devoting ourselves to the practice of freeing ourselves from what we think is holding us back. So he said, I, if I, when I look, I cannot find. Huika said, there you go. I have absolved you of your sins. Now, he said, now you should live by the Buddha, the teaching, and the community. Live by the three treasures. Right? Buddha Dalma Sangha. So uh, this long and deeply profound poem, Seng, the Trust in Mind, is attributed to Seng Tsan, uh, although some scholars do claim that it was written later on by, by someone else. Doesn't matter. We're going to just leave it as the poem of Seng Tsang. Also, in this poem, uh, it's very evident to see, it's very clear to see the strong influence Taoism had on the development of Zen. In fact, uh, D.T. Suzuki uh, said that... Uh, Buddhism is the mother and Taoism is the father. And the meeting between those gave birth to Zen. And what he was saying is that the child, Zen, looks more like the father than the mother. And the more you study Zen, the more you see what that means. You understand why he said that. So it's very closely related to, it's kind of like we can say Buddhism with a, Taoist twist, very strong influence. And you can see it throughout this poem very clearly. 
So that's that. Now the title, Xinjin Mei or Xinxin Ming in Chinese. So the character uh, is comprised of, uh, the, this name is comprised of a few characters. The first one, Xin, is actually uh, a person standing by their words, trustworthy, reliable. Jin, halt as in halt mind. Now, Jin or Xin is, is not, is halt, but not the halt as we see it. It's halt mind as one word. O kokoro, right? One, one word. And it is very difficult to, to uh, capture that in English because we don't have a word for that. We just don't. Uh, I think many languages don't have such a, a word. So it is, it is a, a unification. The word itself, Shin, alludes to a state of unity. All things are one, right? So body and mind, body and spirit, all things are unified. That's what this is referring to. So trust in mind is not trust in your mind, obviously, right? Not in your brain or what your brain is producing. It's trust that, that one unified mind, which nothing is outside of, right? If you look at the Enso, you see that the symbol of the Enso is the all-inclusiveness, right? Nothing is outside. And any point on that circle is exactly the same as any other point. There is no high or low. It's continuous. So that's what the half mind is, kokoro or shin. And mei is a verse or inscription. So shinjin mei. Now Okumura says kokoro. Jin, Shin, Hot Mind ultimately refers to the entire network of interdependence or interdependent origination in which we are born, we live, and die, and to which we awaken through our practice. So it refers to the interdependent origi origination in which we are at all times, whether we believe it or not, whether we trust it or not, whether we go against or for it. It's irrelevant. It's just the way things are. In other words, things are unified. Things are interdependently connected to one another. While this is true, it's up to us to make it so, which means it's up to us to live like that, based on that. We can live our lives resisting that, and we suffer. Or we can live our lives in alignment with the way things are, and then we live as awakened. So that's the difference. So that's Okumura Suzuki. says, the mind which is always on your side is not just your mind, it is universal mind, always the same, not different from another's mind. It is Zen mind, it is big, big mind. This mind is whatever you see, this mind is at the same time everything. And this is also what we chant in the Magahanya Haramita Shingyo. That's the Shin in, in the, the title, which is the heart of the perfection of great wisdom. So, the verse. So it begins by saying that the supreme way is difficult only for those who pick and choose. 
Now, another translation by Dan and uh, Jordan, Jordan says, the great way is effortless for those who live in choiceless awareness. I, I always like that way of phrasing it, to live in choice, abide in choiceless awareness. So the way, the supreme way, the way the Tao, Marga, Buddhist, the path, refers to both the way and the destination, right? It's not how we may think of a way. I am going from here to there, so we see it as where I am now and the gap, which I refer to as the way to get to where I want to be. So where I am now and the way and the destination are seen as three different things. This is not what, we, what this is referring to. So the way includes everything. So it is also uh, including the incremental deepening process, which we cannot deny that there is such a thing, right? We incrementally deepen. While this is true, it doesn't mean we are moving from one point to another. We're always there, always have been there. Close your eyes, open the eyes. It's the pickaboo game, right? You open your eyes, where did you come from, right? It looks, as, it looks like as if you just showed up or this came from somewhere, but it's always been this way. I may not have been able to see it, which is true, but when I see it, it did not appear. When I close my eyes, it does not disappear. So the way, always there. It's the, the, the way and the destination and where we are now. So the practice itself and the awakening it leads to are both included in that. So in translating this first line, the, the first line of this poem, this is from, uh, let's see, uh, so this is from Musong. And he says, in translating this first line, various translators vacillate between preference and pick and choose. Right? Some translate as preference, some as pick and choose. And here are some examples. And I want to uh, share that with everyone. So Suzuki says, the perfect way knows no difficulties except that it refuses. It refuses to make preferences. So it, capital I, capital T, refuses to make preferences. We do. It refuses. Whaley the perfect way is only difficult for those who pick and choose. That is very important. That, that way of translating is actually very important because it is clearly pointing at what we do. It is pointing at the way we create our own suffering, essentially. Shengyan, attaining the way is not difficult, just avoid picking and choosing. Lombardo, the great way is not difficult, just have no preferences. And as I was saying before, Dan and Jordan, the great way is effortless for those who live in choiceless awareness. So, uh, I'm going to go back to the commentary. The first line of the poem is a classical Taoist formulation. And many modern readers find in this one, this one line, a source of constant renewal and rededication to practice. I do often read that 
Look at that line. And there is something about this that is saying there is another way. Right? So when we feel stuck, when we feel lost, when we feel some unease, and we look at such a line, we realize there is another way. I may not see it. I may not be in touch with it. But there is another way. And it can be rejuvenating or energizing the practice. Uh, the Chinese, he says, and East Asians generally, literally and social protocols, literary and social protocols, do not emphasize the personal pronoun I. And often when a statement is made about seemingly universal truth, it really is an expression of a specific personal experience. Consequently, one has to wonder whether there is an autobiographical note in this first line, right? It is possible to see Saint Saint Poem as a strong, this is his way of uh, expressing his realization, right? So he, he wrote a verse in a way to express his own real, realization, articulating a place of deep inner experience in much the same way that Hindu mystics, Tibetan Buddhist saints, or Amazonian shamans have expressed themselves after their own breakthrough experiences. Perhaps this line must, might indicate that the way, the great way, has not been difficult for him, for Seng Tsan himself. One second. Uh, and therefore, all people can have the same, not difficult, experience. Or perhaps Seng Tsan is emphasizing only a deep personal experience and not a teaching in the traditional sense. There being no others to be taught or nobody to teach. All of this fits into the general spirit of Zen and Buddhist teachings. The Buddha did not claim any divine revelation in the hour of his enlightenment, but he said to have proclaimed that he had only rediscovered, rediscovered, or opened his eyes to what was there, an ancient truth. The power of his teachings came from the premise that anyone else can discover the same truth if the required effort is there. Right? That's a big if, if the required effort is there. In other words, the great way is open to each and every one of us, and every person is capable of realizing Buddhahood. But the great way is not simply information that we can assimilate while munching on a donut, right? Whatever your donut may be today. So, and what he's saying here is that we have to, we have to put sincere, dedicated, continuous effort, not in and out, in and out, dabble in a practice and go back to old habits. And again, dabble in a practice and go away from it. That's just not going to work because we are not continuous, right? If you, like the, the, one of the examples of the, the Buddha, he said, if you're trying to light up a fire, rubbing two stones or rubbing whatever you rub against one another, you have to keep doing it. If you do it and stop and do it and stop, there will not be fire. You'll just get exhausted. What he's saying is, its realization requires effort over a long period of time. And its premise is nothing less than a total radical transformation of our perceptual processes. 
And we need to recognize that what we're doing is radical. And I think that because it's so radical, we often feel resistance. Right? We feel it's a challenge. But that's okay. Having a challenge or feeling that it's a challenge or feeling that there is resistance doesn't mean that it has to be a barrier that stops us from showing up to the cushion, showing up at the zendo, from engaging with the practice every day. Wherever we are, whatever we do, here is the practice. In the Zen tradition, when the word practice is used, it does not always refer to formal training. And you know that. The training itself is done in the Zendo. The training, quote-unquote, is done in the Zendo. But practice, quote-unquote, is done at all times of the day. Training is formal discipline, but practice is mindfulness in all moments of daily living. And in that case, what it means is moment by moment, we, we need to, we ought to test our assumptions about the moment, about what arises. Because if we don't, so quickly the reactivity shows up. And the reactivity will dominate the moment and the day and the month and the year and our lives. So we have to be so diligent to catch, to catch that reactivity, right, in real time or maybe right after, and maybe as we go deeper and deeper, just before the reactivity, and then react in a different way, before the automatic reactivity, and then react in a more manual way, if you compare that to driving a stick shift versus automatic, right? So hands-on, stick shift, right? All the time, you listen to the engine. Your hands are always up and down, or your foot if you ride a motorcycle. You're always with it. You're always integrated with the moment. And that's what that means. And then he says, at some point, the two merge to create a discipline of life, a discipline of the habits of body and mind and heart as unified. This is the path, the great way, and it is fully embodied, not an abstract metaphysical concept, and I think this is one of the barriers for us because when we read about practice or, or ancient text, it may seem as if this is referring to some metaphysical concept or abstract concept that we cannot connect with. But the way to connect with that is to look at our lives more so than the text itself. And our lives actually verify the text. Right? Our everyday life needs to be what's verifying the text that we are engaged in reading. And then he said, we, we make hundreds of preferential choices in our daily life and they are neutral in and of themselves. But when we find ourselves willing to defend those preferential choices at the cost of our deeper experience, we are stepping into the realm of addiction. And this is not an exaggerated way to describe that. We are absolutely addicted to a self, to ourselves, not to a self, to ourselves. We are addicted to ourselves and therefore we go along with any whim, anything that it says, we say, okay, I'll give it to you now. 
because it wants it now. So this is the addiction. So I've said before, this a center, Zen center, is akin to a rehabilitation center in that way. We are here to rehabilitate ourselves from our addiction to the self. In the Pali tradition, the word for happiness is sukha. But when we unpack the word, there is nothing really graspable about it. In the deeper sense of the word, sukha is the absence of dukkha or suffering, an absence of stress or anguish. It is the result of not it is the result not of appropriation, but of letting go. So other than appropriating, stopping all appropriations altogether. And letting go is the letting go of our preferences, or more precisely, letting go of our unconscious addiction to our preferences. This letting go is letting things be without wishing them to mold themselves around our preferences. So meeting life as is, at that moment, there is what is, and there is what I want what is to be. Right? That's the, that's the problem. So when we, you know, we spend a few months now on three months on dynamically merging, this is what we mean by that. Here is life. Here is the way it is. It's not asking you, how would you like me to show up today? What would you like? No, it's not asking. It's just showing up. And then there is a gap because, well, sometimes there is no gap, we think, right? Because I may like it temporarily. But even when I like it temporarily, there is a gap between I liking at that time. So the I and what I like are two. I'm not merged. It may feel good, which means I may feel as if I'm merged. But that's, I, that's me deceiving myself. Because a moment later or an hour later or a day later, I'm not going to like it. That's guaranteed. Because I go between liking and disliking. This is our lives, right? So at that moment of either liking or disliking, putting it aside, how do I merge? How do I put aside? Right? And it's interesting because what he's saying about the word sukai is not something of itself. Look at what is what are you doing? We need to look at the way we are creating misalignment more so than try to align. Right? It's not life is fine. It's not life that we have to correct or fix or tweak. It's how we meet it that we have to work with. So, back to the, the line, maybe you forgot it. The Suprema is difficult only for those who pick and choose. And the great way is effortless for those who live in choiceless awareness. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel angry? Because I know it does for some of you. Does it make you feel lost? Does it encourage you? I don't know. Yes. Tell us. I you, think it would be nice. You may need to raise your volume and... Uh, I, think it would be I think it would be nice. What would be nice? If I could live in that way. Okay, so let's look at that, if I could live in that way. Or when I live in that way. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, 
the language is very important yes. because I would like to live in that way is assuming that there is another way. Right? You're saying, I'm not living that way. What's the assumption there? Or what is holding you back? So look at what Seng Chan came with. Uh, he, he went to see Huike, what Huike went to see Bodhidharma with, right? And, what, and how Bodhidharma and Huike dealt with that. Right? What is it that is stopping you from living this way is the question. The assumption that there's an I? Yeah, more, that's textbook. More, <laughs> more real. So take an example. You know, so you wake up in the morning. Well, a sense of struggle. Struggle. Yeah. Okay, what are you struggling with? Okay, so sitting here this morning. Yes. So I came to the Zendo um, feeling enthusiastic about sitting. Yes. Um, and uh, remembering a sense of being, uh, a feeling of being settled. Um, And there was a lot of monkey mind and a lot of preference. Okay, hold off right there. There is a, a recollection of being settled. I prefer that. Yes. That's it. Yes. Then stop that. Because what you do is you set up being settled versus not being settled. You want that. Yes, I do. That is creating. That, see, wanting to be settled is, is making you unsettled. It's as simple as that. It's not simple in, in practice. I'm just saying to see it, right? Mm -hmm. It was like being on the bike yesterday on that road. I didn't hear you. Yeah, in a minute. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, mention yeah, that. Yeah. So, so being settled, right? Okay, so I, I, yes, there is a recollection and you're not, you're being honest about it, right? I remember being settled. And not only that, but it feels good. Right? It feels good, and this doesn't feel good. Yes. So, it feels good is neutral. It doesn't feel good is neutral. I want good is not neutral. Right. That's what we have to do. You see, I want good, that's already, there is a twist there. There is something there. There's an agenda there. It feels good, there's no agenda yet. Right? Because I'm not saying... I want that, right? It doesn't feel so good is a, is, a, is a state, truthful statement, but not yet with an agenda. That's why he's saying it's neutral. When it appears is neutral, the next step is not neutral, right? The Sarata Sutra, the two arrows, right? First arrow, who doesn't, who is not struck, who, who does not have this sensation of first arrow hitting them? Of course, second error. That's the separation. Yeah. So when, when there is discomfort, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Nothing. <laughs> acknowledge. Yeah, but, yeah. Acknowledge. 
right? You're not going to say, oh, I'm going to put a smile on my face and it's great. It doesn't feel great. But it doesn't mean it's not the great way. The great way is not about how we feel. You see, that's where the, the personal and the universal unify. That's the gateway. Right? It doesn't feel great, but it is great. Always has been, always will be. But it doesn't feel so great right now. That's the entry point. So, so when we say practice in real time, we say, look at what's going on right now and look at what you're feeling about that. And then put aside the appropriate. Don't try to appropriate. Do not judge by any standards. What does that mean? Well, I have standards. Good and bad. Feel good, feel bad. Those are my standards. Right? That can actually change a frown to a smile. It can do that. It doesn't mean that the intensity of the discomfort necessarily or immediately goes away. It actually does subside, but not going to go away, right? Because there's no magic wand to that, right? But it changes the, the, the moment, right? It, it actually opens up, a, there's a sense of stagnation that follows by a sense of movement. Right? We, we know how it feels like. We just don't want to let go. Which is why the, the word addiction to a self is very appropriate. We're addicted to preferences, but that means we're addicted to ourselves. To what I want. To my likes and dislikes. Also addicted to what you just said about, I forget your words, but that sense of movement and flow. Mm -hmm. Even though there's pain or something else that uh, is uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh. Yes. Uh, go ahead. Thanks. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that the idea of not following what I like is very radical. Um, and I, um, I mean, I, I think because a lot of how uh, I've thought about my life is very aspirational, but because it's Check so radical, computer. it makes me feel upset to hear and think about that. I can feel like I'll get riled up. I'm trying to react to that feeling of being upset with neutrality, um, you know, and not trying to push through that feeling of upsetness, you know, this radical idea upsets you, but you're committed to this sun practice, you just took two kites and you just got to suck it up, but um, not like that, just feeling neutral, noticing that feeling of upsetness and in noticing that feeling of upsetness, I can feel that I'm letting go of something that I held onto so tightly and that makes me feel really vulnerable. And so I get angry and upset and I try to defend against that. Um, and then also just really resonating with everything that Sigyoku said, but 
you know, the last thing she said about wanting to have that feeling of flow during the last sashin in Dukusan, I mentioned multiple times, you know, my last couple of sashins were so great, um, painful, but great. I'm just not feeling it this time. And that's something that I had to sit with since. And um, what that meant to me is something that I can continue to process. And, just wanted to share. Thank you. So, so uh, you brought up Sashin. Actually, this is a very important point. I was going to bring it. Thank you for reminding me. So, what do we do? We train ourselves to put aside our preferences, right? I mean, think about being at Sashin. Your preferences don't matter. Nobody's preferences matter, right? It's not that we don't care, right? We care deeply. Therefore, we're not going to entertain anybody's preferences, right? This is what we do. This is the schedule. This is what you need to do. This is what you don't know. You don't know what you're going to eat. This is what you're going to eat, right? This is the time you're going to wake up. This is the time you're going to sleep. It's all set, right? And this is the duration of a period, of Zazen period. And this is the duration of the um, Kinhin. And that's how slow or fast the Kinhin will be, right? Sometimes some people want it slower. Some people want it faster, right? I want to wake up. Please, can you go faster? My legs don't work so well. Could you please go slower, right? Imagine Jikido taking requests <laughs> throughout Sishin. But anyway, um, the point is, we are there to put aside our... That's what makes it so beautiful and powerful. We are there to put aside ourselves with all its preferences and merge. It's not just putting aside. It's putting aside and merging, right? So that's why it is an incredible... Uh, uh, practice to be at Sashin or Zazenkai, the shorter version. So yes, uh, so you're saying this Sashin was different than last Sashin. Yeah, that may be true, but it's irrelevant to, to the practice itself, right? To what you're there to do, it's irrelevant. What you feel about it, it's irrelevant to what you're doing there, right? And we can t extrapolate that and we can say that what you feel about today is irrelevant to today. How's that? What I think about today is irrelevant to what's happening today. Isn't that a relief? It takes pressure off. Thank you. That's it. It takes the pressure off. I don't have to like it. Yeah. That's the point. Uh, yeah, Pixie and then thank you. So I think many of us live around other beings that live their lives in choiceless awareness, like our dogs and our cats and our other, right, companions? Yes. Um, so going back to what Ellen and you were saying, um, it's humanity that interferes with that choiceless awareness, and I like my humanity with all its flaws and all its problems, you know? Because it seems like my dog and cats live in a constant state of zen. They live in the present, they, they don't question, they accept, right? They, they live in a, um, so they are always unified, right? So there's no gap. They live in a gapless uh, uh, state of being, right? Okay. So what we need to do is learn not to be like a dog, 
but to be like a human is like, in the same way that a dog is a dog and a cat is a cat, or a mountain is a mountain, right? It's a different way of, we have, that's what we have to inquire into. What does it mean to be human? We cannot just say, this is what it means to be human. That's the assumption. Why? Because most people live like that, therefore it must be the way I need to live my life, right? Most people act in careless way towards one another, right? And uh, care mostly about themselves, therefore it must be the way human beings need to live. Right? That's, that could be an assumption. So the hell with everybody else, I go, I'm going to take care of what I need, I'm going to protect what I have. The hell with everybody else. That's like a dog going up a roof and trying to fly. Right? It's like a, a dog trying to not be like a dog, basically. A dog is not going to try and do that. They don't know that they're not going to try to do that, right? So yes, in our case, it is more challenging because we have a brain, we have emotions, we have a very complex way of being, obviously, right? Which means we have a greater responsibility than a dog and a cat. That's what that means. Because we have great capacity for, for uh, goodness and great capacity for harm. And, you know, look at what's happening now in this country, right? And not just this country, other places too. Look what's happening. Obviously, there is a much stronger pull towards what is not wholesome, to what is destructive, to what will cause suffering. Somehow, as human beings, we gravitate towards that. So we have to ask, what in me is doing this? Because it's me. Right? I, may not, I may be voting for this, not that, but it's me. Because what's in another is also in me. As far as capacity, right? So what, what is driving us to act in such callous, careless ways? Right? And this is what this is talking about. It's all about choices and preferences. I don't want this, I want that. These are the bad guys, these are the good guys. Well, everybody's saying that, right? Both sides are saying, you know, we are the good guys. So we have to study that. Because to an extreme, this is, if we take this to extreme, we end up acting in such, such harmful ways. But we see it at home, we see it maybe with our partners, with our kids, with somebody on the road. We see that, you know, how people cut each other off on the road. What is that? Who's driving? Who's driving the, the being? Who's driving the car? So that's what we do. This is what we practice, right? We practice examining our assumptions and doing something radical about it, which means not to follow preferences. Now, what does that mean? Wake up in the morning, right? You, got, you, have, you may prefer coffee over tea, or tea over coffee, right? Well, is that a problem? When does it become a problem? When I say my coffee is better than your tea. <laughs> that, also, when you run out of coffee and you only have this tea, right? Then what? Then you can be grumpy all day. Because you didn't get your coffee. Because the coffee wasn't good, it was stale, or whatever, right? Then you can carry that into the day, or, or at that moment, here's my preference, here is life. 
Life is stale coffee at that moment, isn't it? Isn't it stale coffee? Not even that, you know, this is, we call it stale coffee, it's just that. Okay, drink it or chuck it. Drink it or chuck it, choicelessly. That's the gateway to freedom, isn't it? Right, that's why for humans we have greater responsibility. We have greater capacities. It is, it could be dangerous to be human, right? But we can also save all creation. Yes. We can, also save we can, right, it could be a bliss and it could be a curse. Depending on how, not the what. The what is the what, right? We are born in this body. How we use this body is the question, right? It's a precious vehicle. How do we, do, first of all, do we understand it to be a precious vehicle or it's only precious when I get what I want? Or when you believe what I'm saying and you go along with my ideas, then you're precious too, right? But if you go against my ideas, then you are on the other side of preciousness. My people, my party, my whatever. But yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, yes. Yeah, I wanted to go back a little bit to the to, to what El and Sayoko were saying. Um, I think, you know, the, the main problem we have is, is when we raise questions about what we're feeling or not. You know, and that's kind of how, how we change the meaning of what's going on. You know, like, it, it's interesting because it even happens when you are feeling good about something. It's like, oh, I'm feeling good about this. And then something is like, am I? What's going on? You know, how, how long will it last? Will it be good? Will it, and we start raising questions and then it develops an instantaneous unease that wasn't there the moment that you were enjoying whatever you were enjoying. And it's interesting because it happens in both ways, of, of course, you know, like uh, now I don't have the coffee, whatever it is, you know. And, and it's, it's in raising the question. So, I, I, you know, the practice is to check that question. To check the extra question, you know, which is kind of how, how the second arrow happens. You know, the extra question about what's going on is it's, it's kind of asking about our emotions. And that's not what we, I mean, I believe it's not what we are trying to do when we examine. You know, we, when we examine, it's not about trying to understand why we feel this way or not. It's different. It's, it's more about, okay, what I want to do with it is the question. You know more than why I feel this way, because the why is it, it, we very seldom get an answer unless it's very obvious. It's like okay, yeah, I feel pain and I have something sticking here, so I take it out. But it, but it, most of the time, it, you know, the internal emotions and pains, we don't we don't know, and the why is creating all sorts of kind of rabbit holes for us to go and obtain and then start kind of generating the gap with whatever feeling we have. Um, so that's kind of how I, how I was looking at it. Right, so to chuck uh, is simply to acknowledge, right? So, and I think it's important to, uh, just to clarify, yeah. to chuck is not to push away. No, it's not reject, it's, yeah, chuck right? is like, oh, yeah, no. I acknowledge, right? I acknowledge, I acknowledge the window is open. I acknowledge there may be sound over there. I, I see, I feel, I hear, I know what's going on. I'm in touch with it. 
acknowledge, accept, you're united. You're unified, right? You acknowledge what is and you, you allow for it. Internally, you allow for what's externally going on. Whatever the external is, it's not about how I, do I want it, do I not want it, it's how can I allow for it internally. And allowing is expanding. So there's great relief, which we talked about before, there's a great relief in that. Whatever's going on is going on. Right? Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Go ahead, before we move on to the next line. Yeah, I was going to say, first of all, my cat does have her. <laughs> <laughs> and she will not eat if I, if I put something she doesn't like in front of her. She has a really hard time eating, and sometimes she just walks away. But I know what you're saying about that. Um, we don't have a choice as to how the world behaves in reaction to us. We don't have a choice. Scientifically, things happen because they happen, because that's the way it works. So I don't have a choice. If my boss is in a bad mood, I don't have a choice. I have to deal with her, you know, in a very respectful and uh, receptive way, in spite of how she feels. So I just wanted to clarify, we have choices that we make, but sometimes it is me. Sometimes it is made for us. And what you were saying about Sashim is, you know, it definitely all the choices are made for us. So that we can discover that we don't need our choices in order to open the door. Right. So so the question is, I mean, yes, preferences, we all have preferences, right? Yes, animals too, we have we all have preferences, right? All beings. It's a question of how identified or attached am I to my pre- to those preferences? It's not a matter of it's it's not blandness or or evenness in that way. It's a matter of how do I meet those? How do I work with those choices? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we make a choice. Of course, we make choices. But in the making of a choice, we can abide in choiceless awareness. While making a choice, we can be, we can be abiding in a, cho- a state of choiceless awareness. That's, that's where the power is at. Right? So it's not disregarding. We're different. We're unique. Yes. Meishin. Hi, can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I just, it's so interesting, like, what you were saying. Um, just that it, there's so much chaoticness and craziness in the world these days. So I find that it's like helpful just having that equanimous mind and accepting what is happening in the world. Um, if we don't have all our preferences, our likes and our dislikes and all, all that stuff that we're attached to. Um, but going back to what the lady next to Rosanne was saying about how, you know, a cat is a cat and a dog is a dog and a mountain is a mountain. Um, why is it, and this is really a question, why is it then, why is a human mostly not a human? Why do we have to work so hard for, uh, you know, like, cats and dogs have that natural state of zen, and, and we don't? Like, what is this, is, are we like God's, like, scientific experiment? Like, I just don't understand how this, is, how this has happened. I don't know if I'm articulating my question very well, but do you understand my question? Yeah. You're asking why do we go astray, right? So why do we go astray? 
Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. And, and the answer to that has to do with the, 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 our complexities. We are much more complex in, in, in our capacities than... Uh, please uh, mute yourself. Somebody is unmuted. Yeah, I'm muted. Yeah, thank you. So because of our complexity, we can go in different directions. Because we don't know how to deal... I think what it is, we don't know how to deal with ourselves. It's not life. It's we don't know how to meet ourselves, which is why in practice we sit with ourselves, right? We sit with our own thoughts and emotions and karma and whatever arises and we learn to work with that. This is the, 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 the problem and the solution is within, right? So we need to spend more time on that because we are much more complex beings than a mountain. We are the same as a mountain, but the complexity is different right that's why so so what we need to learn from a mountain or an animal is not to do what they do but to do what they do in the way we need to do it again it's more complex that's why we have much greater responsibility than a cat and a dog we may not like that but <laughs> but <laughs> that's the way we are i mean we were born into this body of a human consequences yes we are aware of the consequences of the actions that we do even you know we like it or not we are aware of that i don't think i don't think animals are i mean they, they just do what they do and sometimes they get violent and they get super violent and they sometimes yeah. they kind of like they do what they do and they don't like uh, i remember you know cats i mean cats a lot and you know they can get violent super violent and do something terrible and then you know, 10 seconds later, they're just licking their paw and doing like yeah, yeah. nothing else happens. Or they lick you and they love you all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why, they go from scratching you to loving you? Um, yeah, yeah, so the, because it's, it's not about any, any uh, there's no trace on it. And that's the same portion, maybe. But the consequences, they don't care. And uh, we do. And I think, you know, that, you know, generate complexity. Right, but, right. They don't question that. Also, there's no separate sense of being that is questioning every moment, right? There is an immediate alignment. So the question is, how do we get there? So, yes, quickly, and we move on. <coughs> I um, think that's an important paradox in this, which I think affects all of our practice, which is you have to choose to do the Buddhist practice so that to get beyond picking and choosing begins with a choice. And so you don't, you can't just kind of magically get beyond picking and choosing. It's a choice that starts all this, which is picking and choosing. And how to move from that initial choice, because once you've chosen something in human, we can always unchoose it, right? Or we can choose something else, right? So that, because all this starts with a choice, I think, that choice has to be taken very seriously. Right? Why is that choice any different from any other choice? Why is this choice better than any other choices and so on? And I think eventually, if you live long enough with your practice, you begin to realize that it was, really wasn't so much of a choice, that this was really the only option that there was, and so you're just coming to see reality the way it is. That's a ways down the road. Um, so how you get to that point, um, and I think one of the ways um, is appreciation that 
moment by moment, whatever the situation is that you're in, um, Seiyoko's father had this wonderful, sometimes very annoying habit. Whatever meal he ate was the best meal that he had ever eaten, right? And when you finish eating with him, that's what he would always say. This is the best meal I ever had. And it sounds like that's making a judgment, but it wasn't making a judgment. It was just appreciating what he had had at that moment and said nothing at all about all the previous meals or the next meal. And so somehow I think we have to develop some sense of appreciation in all sorts of different areas. Right. And it's, appreciation can sometimes seem like judgment. And so I think we sometimes try to be neutral. I think this is what I was saying. We try to be neutral, and I don't, I don't, we can't be neutral. I think we, you know, so much of our uh, life keeps pulling us one way or another. And I think appreciation is one way to um, kind of help us stay on the path. Right, so, so best versus better, right? In better, there is a judgment. In best, there is no judgment because there's no other. Think about it, right? So when yeah. this is the best, it's not in comparison to anything else. It's just celebrating that. So that's appreciation, not in comparison. Better than or worse than brings, brings up comparisons. Best is just this. This is the best there is. Well, in, in relation to what? Nothing. It just it's is. No it's like the perfect. They, they right. Perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, as is. Exactly. Right. So then it actually uh, dismiss it, it. It. Everything else fades away. Right. It's just not in comparison to anything else. So it's just as is. Now uh, back to what you were saying before. But yeah, we make. You could say okay. We step onto the path. You're saying we actually make a decision to step onto the path right, to, to email a Zen center or, or spiritual practice place, right, and to stop practicing. The question is, what is it in you that makes you do that, right? You know, we call it bodhicitta, call it whatever, right? Something from within, right? So the question uh, in that has to do with what am I nurturing? We all nurture something. We all put our trust in something. And the question, because that's what makes me make that choice and not this choice. It's not just random. It's not, well, I'm going to go this way, then this way, take a couple of steps there and there. That's, that's random. But when we honor that in us that makes us go and reach out to a place and we keep honoring it, even when we don't feel like going, then something grows. Then we nurture something much deeper in us. Then we go beyond preferences. So it's that, which it, there's a deeper, a bigger perspective there too, right? Which has to do with bodhicitta. Which might take a while to... It, it takes a while. Uh, right, so. right, and it takes a great deal of uh, effort. As you were saying, you can't do it munching on a donut. Okay, uh, next line, uh, we move on. Simply let go of likes and dislikes. Now, in some translations, it's love and hate. And it's, it's important to understand what that really means, not what we think it means. Simply let go of uh, likes and dislikes, and the way will fully reveal itself, illuminate itself. Uh, and then uh, another translation, Dan and Jordan, to choose without preferences is to be clear. Now, this is saying to choose without preferences. How do I choose without preferences, right? So Musong, when we closely examine our own personal 
world of preferences, of picking and choosing this over that, or this over the other, we find we are es uh, essentially trapped in a world of reactivity, pulled this way and that in response to what we like or don't like. But through meditation, we can cultivate a way of being in which this reactivity is absent. And then it is as if we are looking at things directly rather than through a distorted or distorting lens. Seng Zan tells us clearly, completely let go of all conditioned reactivity, live through non-reactivity, live your life through non-reactivity, and each moment will be a new perceptual unit in which we can act freely and appropriately. So no trace in that, right? Very clearly. The conditioned, it's, the conditioned self has built up through processes of appropriation and projections. An intricate construct that is itself, is in itself identity and also its filter of perception of the phenomenal world, right? So we, the picking and choosing creates, constantly creates that perception that we actually think is real. So the picking and choosing, in a way, perpetuate our suffering. It keeps this, that, that which is suffering, keeps that alive. It keeps it alive and well. Right? So by picking and choosing, we maintain and then we complain about suffering. So what he's saying here, in each moment of interacting with any new data, both of these constructs, based on an underlying series of likes and dislikes, come into play and our perception of reality becomes distorted. These constructs are the filters of delusion or misperception. When the nature of the self and the nature of phenomena are both understood to be informed by shunyata, by emptiness, there is a gradual erosion of existing edifice of constructs as well as the slowdown of new construct making. So we're able to, to see how we create constructs and by not feeding it, we don't create new ones going forward. We begin to chip away at this edifice by cleansing the lens of our perception to see how the cycle of longing, clinging and becoming is working in our life to cause dukkha, to cause suffering. This is long, painful process and is not likely to happen overnight, right? As Raison was alluding to. But it affects, it, its effect is to gradually build up a sense of equanimity that provides a counterweight to the reactivity of likes and dislikes. In those moments when likes and dislikes have been truly replaced by equanimity, Everything becomes clear and undisguised, revealed to be empty of own being. That's Fabava. So own being. So it is, it is revealed to be empty of separate existence. So the likes and dislikes are there to maintain, to feed that sense of separate existence. When we go beyond that, we realize there's never been anything there to feed. It's the feeding, the nurturing that kept it that kept the seeming uh, uh, existence of it, right? Only that, without feeding it, it's not there. From this perspective, we are 
aware of the space between the primary point of direct apprehension of the lack of own being in things as the secondary moment of their appropriation. So we appropriate, they become. We don't, they're not. We are aware of our freedom to not appropriate any experience, to not fit it into our conditioned matrix of likes and dislikes. And this is what we do. Instead of experiencing fully what's going on, we look at it, we experience, and ask, do I like it, do I not like it? That's where we go astray. That's how we begin to go astray. To not make a story of it, he's saying. So, simply let go of love and hate. Right? And, you know, the word love and hate, the words love and hate are actually not so bad in this or, or so wrong in, in pointing at what's going on, but we have to get beyond. It doesn't mean do not express. Actually, when we go beyond dislikes and dislikes of love and hate, loving something and hating something else, we are nothing but love. We are nothing but love without opposites. But we have to go, be, be, you have to go beyond, I love this, I hate that. Right? That's the, the language we, in which we speak. That's how we think often. So, simply go of uh, likes and dislikes, love and hate, and the way will fully reveal itself. In other words, don't try to create the way. Look at the way you, you go astray. And then work with that. And when you work with that, the way itself will fully be revealed. Why? Because it's never been otherwise. It's never been otherwise. You've never been otherwise. So, yeah, where are we at with this? Anyone? I think the, the, what you said about you're nothing but love when you drop love and hate separation, um, it's uh, similar to what Brisa uh, was commenting about the appreciation. It's like you're, you're fully into appreciation mode. So everything is love and appreciate it. Um, it's interesting. Every day is a good day, right? Yunmen. That's what Yunmen try to teach, right? His students, right? He said, I'm not asking you about before realization. I'm not asking you about after realization. I'm not asking you about what you like or don't like. What about today, he's saying. Nobody said anything and then he said, every day is a good day. But it's not, well, fine, I'll, I'll take it because there's nothing else going, nothing better going on. I'll show up. There's no better party in town. So here I am. The weather's not so good, so I showed up. Um, right, it's not reluctantly. It's completely, willingly embracing life. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a completely different vista. Yeah, yeah, it's the difference between appreciation and you know, kind of that, I don't know what the word will be, but you know, the sensation of like, yeah, I just don't care about it, it's just kind of here. Yeah, dragging my feet. Yeah. Right. I, I think, I'm pretty sure there's an English word for it, but... Uh, Reluctantly. Maybe. It's, it's like... Uh, no, I feel like... It, it's different than relaxed. It's like more like... Yeah, some kind of... Uh, is the word that gets tossed around a lot it, of this, like... Indifferent. Like, so, yeah. You're, you're... There's something to be said about 
I feel like there's a, a weird switch that happens from seeing something as there is no choice and also being what we've spoken about numerous times of that doesn't mean you're a karmic doormat that all of this is just happening to you and you're getting dragged from one place to the other and well I can't do anything about it so here I am half me you know and there's there's some indifference to it yeah it's I can't do anything so whatever which is kind of <laughs> probably the opposite of appreciation you know like yeah. Well, that, that actually keeps that uh, mental construct going, mm-hmm. right? You know, because fine, I'll show up. What am I doing? What am I saying, right? What am I appeasing when I'm saying that? Yeah. I'm appeasing something in me, yeah, right? I'm saying, fine, you know, just appreciate me showing up because I showed up, <laughs> well, <that>. right? <laughs> I didn't feel like showing up, yet I showed up. Yeah. Am I not doing what's asked of me? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you like a... You didn't let go of the picking and choosing. No. You just still kind of grumpily not choosing. There are many back doors. <laughs> yeah. Many, many back doors through which it's going to come back. And it's going to say something just not to die, basically. Not to be let go of. It'll assert itself again and again. So, yeah, we have to just recognize what we're up against, I think. Right, in terms of practice. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, so simply let go of likes and dislikes. Does that, does that work? I mean, do you, do you connect with that is the question. Yeah, I, I mean, in some ways, yes. Uh, almost because it, it, I feel like some of what we've been saying today to re, re, kind of reevaluate what, what habits are and the things that we do to try to cultivate mm-hmm. being able to, you know, the way being revealed to us, we have to be able to see it. You know, and so often we talk you know, and chant about it being shown to us and we just don't see it. It's right there, plain. Um, so we try to do these habits to kind of cultivate it, but there's so many things, and, you know, it's funnily enough, we hear a lot of them at the beginning of Ango of going, I'm going to meditate seven days a week, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to eat well, right. all these things. And how often is you miss that cup of coffee or you don't go to the gym and it's, my whole day is ruined? You still got 12 hours of like waking light to, you know, you can just keep moving. Right. Or you go, well, I'll do it tomorrow. And what, what is it that we cling to these habits as like a kind of, yes, on one hand it's cultivating, but in a lot of ways it's like a really brittle armor that the minute it gets pierced, everything kind of disintegrates mm-hmm. in the face of that. And when somebody then goes, you know, let go of that, it can come off as insulting. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways of like, what do you think I'm trying to do? I'm trying to, you know, make the perfect thing here and I'm trying to, to do the best I can. But um, just like a pitch up uh, away from that level of anxiety or, or clench, clenching, it's suddenly going, oh, all I did was just switch the tone or, or moved something around that for my own limitations, I was not allowing myself to see the possibilities there. Right. And it just opened up. It's like when you watch the videos of like a, you know, um, somebody uh, unclogging a drain mm-hmm. and just 
the water and all the things that was backing up just pour out. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the, the sharing circle, I feel like a lot of that happens sometimes. It just, yeah. uh, it just it floods. You know, it's a great river. So, so the way, one thing, the way it would fully reveal itself, um, here's, the, here's the issue with that. The way always re fully reveals itself, right? So when the way fully reveals itself, nobody's, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. Nobody's seeing anything. So, right? So what is the fundamental constant principle? Moving. How is it when moving, you don't see the, constant, the fundamental constant principle? That's, that's, that's the issue for us because I want to see. I want to see that I'm making progress. Mm -hmm. I want to see that I'm getting somewhere with this. Yeah. I've been sitting for three years, five years, ten years. I'm getting nowhere with this, mm -hmm. right? I want to see. But the, when, the way, when the way fully reveals itself, when things are as they are, when we just let go and allow things to be as they are, then we're unified. But we've always been unified. See, that's the issue. Well, not the issue, but that's the fact. So when the way fully reveals itself, what is is what is. Mm -hmm. I wonder, anybody on Zoom, uh, I may not see your hand if you raise it. Maybe you've given up. So anybody on Zoom want to say anything? No? You're good? Uh, Can't we? Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know, I feel a lot of anger about this um, because in my house, I can find, you know, that peace of mind, but as soon as I leave my house and I'm out in the world, I feel like other people um, influence How I move. So I can't drive my car in a way that I am just going along peacefully. I have to be at a constant awareness of, oh, there's a cop. I have to make sure I'm driving perfectly so I don't get pulled over or I might get killed or I might go to jail or something like that. But those types of things are constantly on my mind when I'm out in public, or even having a conversation with my white husband, because we do um, see the world in different ways. So the whole picking and choosing, um, I don't know, it makes me, it makes me angry. I, I, it's, it's something that I think about constantly. I know as an individual, I'm trying to live the best life I'm living. I'm trying to do the best thing that I can do. I'm trying to be the best person that I can be. But there's a lot of societal influences that seem to impede upon that. Right, it seems. Um, it seems. Go ahead, finish. Go ahead. Say again? No, f finish your sentence. I thought you were done. Finish your sentence. Oh, I'm, I'm probably done. <laughs> no. But um, I keep going back to Sashin thinking about um, Kiyozan's conversation. And um, I was really... Uh, struck by it and the choices that they make in their daily life and I really connected with that because I even told you Roshi while I was there I didn't feel like I was a black person <laughs> I was just a practitioner I felt so safe and secure mm -hmm. but as soon as you leave it's like 
Where is that safe to go? And how do I not choose these emotions, these feelings, the, the way that I move? How do I not choose to find you know security in myself and to allow myself to be separate from things for safety? Right. So the, uh, th this is a question of studying our reactivities, right? So it's the reactivities that we have to examine because the reactivities, the appropriations as well, right? So I, I feel safe here. I don't feel safe there, right? But what you're saying is I need to be alert. So you already have the know-how, right? You know how to deal with that. You may not like it. You don't like to get in the car and deal with that because you rather just go home and deal with the, you know, with the people you know because you know exactly what to expect, right? So it's a safe environment, right? But we're not, what we're doing is we are cultivating an ability to blend with situations, with the ability to not create further mental constructs and to work with our reactivities. So I feel tense. How do I relax? Not how do I relax when, one second, not how do I relax when the atmosphere is relaxing, right? Not how do I open up when I feel safe? Because, yeah, well, I can do that, right? Because it goes along with my preferences, doesn't it? That environment goes along with what I prefer. Therefore, I'm willing to align with that. But I'm not willing to align with the hostile environment. I'm just saying hostile, whatever that, right? Giving it the title. But, and that's the practice, right? Because when you turn inwardly, you realize you're much greater than you can ever imagine yourself to be. You are the great way. Do you think that bothers the great way? That's nothing for the greatness of the great way or for your greatness. But for your preferences, it's a threat. For the story-based you, it's a threat. It's not dismissive anything. It's just saying... Examine the reactivities, work with that, and you'll realize that you're much greater than you can ever imagine yourself to be. But it does take uh, the, the, the willingness to be vulnerable, right? And the willingness to experience harsh environment and some pain. Because we cannot avoid it, right? We cannot just stay home and that's it. I'm not going to go anywhere. That's not going to be conducive. Anyway, right? It's not going to lead to anything good. So it's a question, how do I face it? How do I work with my reactivities? So you are the great way. Inherently, which is tied to your name. Thank you. You are relaxed. You're fine. You're driving well. You don't have to drive perfectly, but she feels that she needs to drive perfectly because of outside conditions um, coming at her with hatred that she for her she doesn't she didn't do anything. That's all. This those are the circumstances. The circumstances that we live with live in are not great, right? The circumstances are not great. We we need to acknowledge it, right? We need to acknowledge that the, the issues that we have in our society. We're not going to deny that or ignore that. We need to acknowledge that 
uh, climate change, you know, all the, the consequences of our craziness, right? There are many of them. We can't ignore them. We need to acknowledge them. But it's a question of how do I, how do I function? How do I function within those circumstances? Not whether or not I like those circumstances. Well, I don't like them. Of course, you're not going to like it. But putting aside that, that component of I don't like it, that gives us the power or, or shifts the attention from whether I like it or not to how do I meet it. The energy that you have is not, suck, is not sucked up by I don't like it at that moment because you can, then it can be shifted, you can, you can devote it to how do I meet this moment? You have that great energy, just that it is circling in that I don't like it. So it's stuck. So we're going to have to finish with that, but it definitely to be continued. Uh, yeah, to be continued. We have a lot to, to go through with this. And uh, that was a great beginning, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, sit with that. Sit with what we talked about. See how you can apply it in your life, right? That's where it matters. It's not something to amuse the, the mind, right? Or mind gymnastics. It's really something that is utterly useful in our everyday life. So keep it alive. Thank you. <laughs>